<clears throat> as is our habit let's uh let's read the chapter and then we'll jump in <clears throat> right near the end we're in in verse 38 is where we're gonna um, pick it up here <clears throat> maybe i should get it too right i'm gonna read it <laughs> my kids were playing with my bible so now it's like has like stuff hanging out there. <laughs> okay, you got it? Yeah, you got it? Cool. Okay. <clears throat> Matthew 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in the heavens. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, you, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. You see, a city that's set up on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and, and then put it under a basket, but, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. That, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Oh, don't think that I, don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, which means empty-headed, shall be in danger of the council, the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire, of the fires of Gehenna. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you. 
Then you leave your gift there before the altar. You go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree, make an agreement with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, if your right hand causes you to sin, or your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's, it's more profitable for you that one of your, your um, members, one of your body parts perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. See, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Furthermore, it's been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason other than sexual sin, sexual morality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all neither by heaven that's God's throne nor by the earth that's that's his footstool his ottoman (laughs) Uh, nor by Jerusalem for it's the city of the great king nor shall you swear by your head because you can't make one hair white or or black but let your yes be yes and your no no for whatever is more than these is from the evil one you've heard you've heard that it said that it was said, rather an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in the heavens. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and and he sends rain on both the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And and if you greet your brethren only, what what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. <laughs> Ooh, well then, uh, let's pray. And then we will um, uh, commiserate together. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we'll talk about uh, <clears throat> this last... We're going to look at the last um, couple of sections here from 38 
through 48 here this morning. So, And we're going to talk about vengeance. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your kindness to us. Thank you for your word. I am thrilled that your kingdom is unlike any kingdom of the world. And it's our desire, Lord, that you would continue to lead us in your way, in the way of the Lamb. That you would set us free from the, um, from the shackles uh, in our hearts and in our minds of the, the world's systems corrupted by human desires. A world ruled with the lust of our bodies, the lusts of our eyes, and the pride of life. Even so, I know that if that's to be the case for me, for us, it must mean that you uh, take your, take the scalpel of your spirit and cut out from us uh, things that are not your way. So, so my Father, would you do that in us? Lord, would you, would you continue to make us healthy? Even as Jesus said here at the end of chapter 5, that we would be perfect just as our Father in the heavens is perfect. Lord, continue that work in us, I pray. Would you please do it because we can't do it for ourselves. And yet somehow you've chosen to partner together with us so that you give us choices and you honor those choices in ways that are humbling and remarkable and you strengthen us in ways that uh, we can't even imagine, Lord. Would you do it? Would you do it for your glory, I pray, that more would see you, Lord, and that we would be a benefit to each other, benefit to our city, uh, to the world in, in this time, the time that we're alive, Lord. Would you help us? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, vengeance. Cool, huh? <clears throat> There's no shortage of movies based on the idea of vengeance, right? <laughs> like, so many movies are based on the idea of somebody doing something wrong to somebody and them getting them. <laughs> We're going to get them for it, you know? I think of uh, one, it's actually a series like, of movies now, right? The Taken movies with uh, Liam, uh, whatever, Liam Neeson, right? Whatever. Anyways, where like something happens to his daughter and he's like, I have skills that I will kill you, basically. <laughs> you <know? laughs> That's my abridged version if you haven't seen the movie. <laughs> That's the Cliff Notes version <laughs> of, uh, of that movie, right? This idea of vengeance uh, has has, uh, at least at its core, uh, I think because all of us understand, at least to a very basic degree, the idea of, of uh, wanting to live in a society of justice, uh, one in which people are treated fairly and correctly, uh, one in which um, the punishments for crime fit the crimes themselves. Uh, that really is the basis, uh, or at least was intended to be the basis of our uh, judicial system and our legal system. It, it uh, uh, in times fails to be right. Uh, I just read a story of uh, like a, a woman who uh, was convicted of uh, she was a teacher who was convicted of of having sex with like a 13 year old student or something, and she uh, was sentenced to 20 years 
in prison, right, for that. Now, now you might be able to remember similar cases that had very different outcomes, very different punishments for those involved in those situations or things that were worse, like uh, situations where people were convicted of rape. Think of the, that, uh, the like, college guy or whatever up in, um, I forget, like, North Carolina or something like that who uh, raped, like, a girl who was passed out or something, and he barely got sentenced to anything, if anything at all, right? <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> you think about that stuff and you're like, hmm. <laughs> um, things don't always work, right? These don't always work the way that uh, we want them to, the way that uh, maybe in our minds we say the way that they should. And there are lots of other examples that are based on lots of other things, even, uh, even in our own, uh, <laughs> I think that situation here, where we have the, uh, the covenant in the, what is it, Benton Hills or whatever, in, in their covenants that says no people of color can live in our neighborhood, basically. You're like, whoa, <laughs> hi, that's still there. <laughs> you know? like, and, and think about that on that such a small level, right? In such a, I say small level, on a lower level like that, but think of that kind of thinking, that kind of mentality that was prevalent in higher levels of government uh, for many years in years past, you know, uh, where uh, that kind of prejudice existed and where laws were written uh, that, that directly affected certain people groups, you know, for whatever reason. So, um, certainly is not the idea of what we think of as justice, right, of people being treated equally, fairly, right? Um, <clears throat> look with me at verse 38 of, of Matthew 5. So remember what Jesus is doing here. He's talking to a group of Jewish people. He went up on the hill, and he's talking to this crowd of Jewish people at the very height, the very beginning, really, of his public ministry. Lots of people are following him. He's doing lots of miracles. Eventually, he's going to address the issue of the religious leaders committing what he calls um, the, um, what we call, I should say, the unpardonable sin. He said that they had um, blasphemed against the Spirit. And as soon as he addressed that with them, he began to withdraw from public ministry uh, so much, and he began to focus more on, on his uh, disciples, on the people that were very close to him. Okay, So, um, yeah, it's a little louder if you're sitting right there, I imagine. <laughs> right? so, yeah, wait for it. We're going to have some coffee in just a second, right? <laughs> that pump kicks in. Anyways, there it goes. <laughs> so, Anyhow, um, Jesus is talking to this crowd of uh, Jewish people here. And uh, he has called some of the disciples to follow him already. They are with him at this point, but he's speaking to a multitude of people. And we see that addressed at the end of the Sermon on the Mount very directly, that there was a crowd of people. And they marveled at Jesus because he wasn't like many of the other rabbis who just came along and said, well, Rabbi so-and-so says this means whatever. Right? And they quoted other rabbis. It was an appeal to authority for what they were saying. Right? You can believe what I'm telling you because this other guy who's another rabbi, an older rabbi, he's the one who really said this, and so that's why you can believe what I'm telling you. Right? Uh, we use the same type of argumentation at times today. Um, and we say, you know, this doctor or this person has a degree in this thing, and so that's why you can believe what they're saying, you know even if it defies logic <laughs> sometimes. You know. uh, anyhow, uh, that's how it was a common form of teaching. Jesus, however, here's what he did. He said, this is what you've been taught. Uh, oftentimes quoting the Torah, the Law of Moses, um, part of the, uh, the first five books of the, the uh, Old Testament. He quotes the Torah and then sometimes couples it with some of the familiar teachings of the time. And we'll see that, I think, in one of our examples today. And then he says, but 
I say to you, right? So he's not appealing to someone else's authority. He's making himself the authority. Now, that's a heavy thing to do. And in fact, he'd be criticized for this by the religious leaders. They're like, wait, 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 whoa, bro, who are you? Of course, this is a paraphrase, right? They're like, who are you to to be doing that, right? And uh, Jesus would talk about uh, the witness that he had. He would talk about how how John the Baptist uh, gave a witness for him and how the Spirit gave witness for him. So in the mouth of two or three witnesses, the law itself, the Torah itself said, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, any matter is established, right? So uh, Jesus uh, recognized that and appealed to that as well. Look with us now then at verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a, a toot for a toot. <laughs> an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You might have had to be living under a rock at this point, I think, most of us, if you've never heard that phrase before. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Uh, <clears throat> we've even seen the familiar memes on uh, Facebook that say things like, an eye for an eye, you know, if, uh, if the, it makes the whole world go blind or whatever, which I always thought was stupid anyways, because you've got two eyes, bro. <laughs> if somebody plucks one out, you still got one more. <laughs> You're not blind. <laughs> Anyways, um, what that is, is a, it is a definition, if you would, of the idea of equality in justice. Uh, and it's funny to me that somebody would even say the concept of an eye for an eye makes the whole world go blind, because when you look at the idea of Lady Liberty, she is blind. She's blindfolded. Not, not, the, not the Statue of Liberty, sorry. But the idea of, uh, of justice, there's that uh, one image of her, right? Um, she is blindfolded, because that's the idea, is that um, uh, justice isn't supposed to recognize, law isn't supposed to recognize uh, that kind of thing, not supposed to judge you differently based on what you appear to be, right? It's supposed to be blind in the rendering and the giving out of justice, blind and equal, as carrying scales that ought to be balanced, right? In the Law of Moses and the Torah, there were specific requirements that said, God said, listen, don't have differing scales, differing weights for different groups of people. For Don't have one for the rich people and one for the poor people, you know, uh, where, you, where you judged people differently uh, based on their status, based on who they were. It was a part of the Torah, part of the law was God establishing this idea of justice. Now, specifically as it comes to the idea of vengeance, of taking vengeance, or you might think of retaliation or revenge, which is where this is headed, in case you weren't sure. Uh, when it comes to that idea, um, it is a common, very, very common thing that if somebody does you wrong, you want to do them very, very wrong. It's normal. But it's not the way of Jesus. Right? Now, the way of the law the establishment of this idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was to say that the punishment for any crime was supposed to fit that crime. It was supposed to be equal to whatever the crime was. Now, that doesn't mean that there weren't also punitive damages sometimes uh, related to that. There were sometimes additional punishment damages. Like um, the law also said if somebody were to take uh, a certain animal, an ox or a donkey, and it were to die after that person steals it, then they would have to repay not just one, but they'd have to repay five, or they'd have to repay four of them. So that's not only, not only establishing that you're repaying what was lost, but there's also punitive damages then added on to the, uh, the, 
establishment of justice. Okay, so that's to say, I'm also punishing you because what you did was wrong. I don't want you to do it again. Right? That's what punitive damages. That's the idea of punitive damages. If you think of uh, lawsuits, I've uh, been in uh, several mediations with insurance work. And you think of uh, sometimes lawsuits, something goes to trial, the jury itself can award punitive damages if they feel like uh, a company or a corporation or whoever was responsible or liable for an injury or a loss, if they feel like they should be punished because they were that negligent in what they did, they will not only give uh, whatever they feel is fair for the crime that happened or for the loss that happened, but then they will establish punitive damages on top of that. Right? It will be additional damages uh, that will be established on top of that. That's why you have some of those lawsuits that are like way, way, way up there. One of the reasons why. Um, not always. So. <laughs> right. right. So... Um, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is not a bad thing. In fact, as it relates to communities, as it relates to government and systems, it's an, an important rule of law that punishment for crime fits the crime, right? <clears throat> having established that reality, that God was saying to Israel, whenever someone is punished for a crime, it ought to be equal to the crime they committed. Their punishment should be equal to the crime they committed. Here now, when the law says things like this, like when a woman is raped, the punishment for that crime is death. That's equal to the crime, according to the law of Moses. That is serious, right? Now, we don't... (laughs) We don't treat it that seriously now. I think that's interesting, the way that the law of Moses um, valued. And it's in the, particularly in the context of a, a woman's body, but I think that's very interesting, <clears throat> among other things. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. How does that then play out in, in our everyday lives? Right? It's an important thing to be established in communities, not only in, uh, in our communities um, <clears throat> in a larger sense, but even in your community, that is your house, right? Imagine if you punish your children uh, in two very, very different ways if they committed the same crime, right? If they did the same thing and they don't receive the same punishment, they're going to look at you and they're going to be like, whoa, 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 something's wrong here, right? This isn't just. If one receives very severe punishment, for the same crime that another one of your children committed that was <laughs> committed, right? <laughs> Whatever that looks like in your house, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, if one of your children receives very, very different punishment than what another child receives, um, you, you, you need to understand, I need to understand that, that my kids see that and they'll be like, something's not right here. Right? In the same way that we do when we see this person who commits this crime getting this punishment and this person in another jurisdiction who commits the same crime in the same circumstances getting a different punishment. Now, also keep in mind that we don't know all the circumstances of everything. <laughs> okay? So sometimes when we're evaluating things and we're reading popular news and pop culture, just keep in mind that there's a lot you and I don't know. Okay? And we're very quick sometimes to draw opinions about things with very, very little information. And I think that's probably unwise. Jesus says this, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. 
Just let that sit for a minute. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. Sometimes when we read our Bibles, we want to be really, really quick to soften the blows of things that are hard to hear. I tell you not to resist an evil person. What does that look like? Jesus gives a couple of examples. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. It's one example. Um, I'm going to give you, let me preface this this way. I'm going to give you what I believe is an opinion related to this. And that's why I'm prefacing it this way. Um, I don't think that what Jesus is establishing here is the idea of refusing to um, defend yourself or refusing to defend others. I don't think that's what's being established here. Uh, However, being slapped on the cheek, on the face, is an incredibly humiliating experience. To be punched in the face. To be slapped. Immediately immediately, right, our fight-or-flight response kicks in. We run away, we fight back when we are humiliated. I think that in the examples that Jesus gives, it seems that one of the things he's addressing is when our, um, when our pride is wounded. <clears throat> it is very interesting to me that frequently the way of Jesus is not simply to address the external circumstances that we deal with, but rather to address the internal motivations with which we live our lives. Because he himself said that the things that are outside of a man are not what defile him, but instead it is what is inside of us that defiles a man, because it's out of the heart of of man that flow evil thoughts and adulteries and murders and wickedness and every evil thing that comes out of what's inside of us. And this is why we must be born again, born from above. I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Um... Another example, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. (laughs) If anybody wants to sue you and uh, take away your shirt, just give him your jacket too. Just let him have it. Not like, let him have it. I'm going to let him have it. Right? That's our natural response, right? I'm going to let him have it. They slapped me. I'm going to let him have it. They're suing me to take away my shirt. And Jesus said, no. Let them have it. To quote some excellent philosophers, give it away, give it away, give it away, give it away. (laughs) Sorry. 
telling my age there a little bit. <laughs> my fear in going through this text is that we are going to quickly dismiss the instructions of our king in the way of his kingdom. And I don't want to do that. Jesus is smarter than you. than me. He gives us another example. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. I have heard, I grew up in the church, I confess, and uh, I heard for years and years and years this great, amazing story that there's this law in Roman society that if a Roman centurion puts his spear on your shoulder, taps you on the shoulder, on the head, that you're required to carry his pack for him for a mile. Man, I've heard it taught so many times. And you know what? I can't find anywhere where that actually is, is a, a lot. I can't find any evidence for that ever being in existence anywhere. I mean, please don't misunderstand me. Maybe it is, and I simply haven't found it yet. I've taught that before, that that was like a thing. But the more I've been around the church and preachers, the more I've realized that a lot of us have regurgitated baloney that some other guy said that we heard years ago, <laughs> and we never actually did the research ourselves. And so as I began to look it up, the fact of the matter is, I just can't find any actual Roman laws or anything ever recorded of any requirement like that. Does it mean it didn't exist? No, it doesn't mean that. What it does mean, though, is that I'm not going to teach it like it did <laughs> until, until, I have, until I have some weight, behind, until I find some sort of documentation for it. I can't, I can't teach it. That was some Roman law thing, whatever, because I literally, I just, I, I looked as well as I could um, over the past week, and I just can't find any record of it anywhere, other than like Christian blogs. And they just regurgitate the same story, but they don't actually give any, any footnotes evidencing anything. And one of them even includes a couple Latin terms for what this law was. And so you look up those Latin terms, and they don't exist. Like, it's just not even a thing. You know? It's amazing the links that sometimes we go to, just to say whatever, you know. <clears throat> so what does that mean for what Jesus says? It doesn't change anything that he said. If someone compels you to go one, he doesn't even give a reason why. If you're compelled by another person to go with them a mile, go too. Of course, this has become a common saying, right? Go the extra mile. Right? This is where it came from. Right? To go the extra mile. To go above and beyond what was expected of you, right? It's a good thing. Uh, by the way, if you have a job, <laughs> it's a good thing to have as a common part of your thinking, of your mentality, right? Of saying, I'm going to go above the, just the, the lower expectations of what's expected of me in my job and my position. You know. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Uh, give to him who asks you. <sighs> I really wish Jesus said, you know, unless they're going to like buy alcohol with it. Give to him who asks you. 
and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. See, the, I think the fact of these statements, for, for me particularly, I, I sit here saying, I don't feel like I really need to explain any of this to you. It's, he's just saying what he's saying. The questions that I want to ask you are, do you, do you trust him? Do you believe him? Do I trust the Lord? Do I believe Him? There are a couple places uh, in the other places in the New Testament, and we'll look at one in just a second here, um, that deal with similar concepts, similar ideas here. Um, I did want to mention, particularly related to this last part here in verse 42, give to Him who asks you and from Him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away, um, I just want to mention this uh, idea that um, God had established in the law of Moses a um, particular way that the a social system in which the poor would be cared for uh, in their society. And it wasn't run by uh, any centralized government, mostly because there was no centralized government. It was a theocracy. God was the king. Uh, they had no king, and then eventually they were like, "Give us, we want to be like everybody else, right? And God's like, it's going to be a mess, bro. <laughs> Again, that's a slight paraphrase, just a little bit. And it was. <laughs> um, but uh, essentially he said to the nation of Israel, leave the corners, it's an agrarian society. Everybody was given fields. Uh, everybody was given a particular plot of land that, stayed in their family. And, uh, of course, if you made some bad decisions, then you could sell yourself into the service of someone else, this indentured servitude uh, that you could sell yourself into, and then you were to be released every seven years. Uh, you were to be released from that servitude, um, and your land was also to go back. Every 50 years, all of the land was to revert back to the original family ownership of the land. It's a pretty incredible system that God had established. Now, we actually have no record of Israel ever celebrating the Jubilee year, that 50th year. There's no biblical record of Israel ever actually doing that. Um, Though every seven years they were to allow the land to rest, and then every 50 years they were also to allow the land to rest again. They went 490 years in the Promised Land without taking uh, any of the seven-year Sabbaths, which means there were were 70 years then that uh, they owed the Lord, and of course they were carried away into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. Incredible thing. God made the land rest for 70 years because that's, that's what he had said they were to do. But uh, anyways, um, that was part of the system. Another part was that in the fields, as they worked the fields, they were to leave the corners of the fields unharvested during the harvest seasons so that if anyone were passing through, whether it was a poor person or just a stranger or anybody, they could find anybody's field, the corner of the field would be unharvested, and they could then go and they could work. They could just take the grain, take whatever was being grown in that field, and it was free for them. And they could then be provided for by, uh, by those means. Okay. So, right, right, you definitely would get shot nowadays uh, <laughs> doing that. Uh, uh, just doing that, right? 
So it was one of the ways that God had established for them to provide for the poor. Now, another thing that God said to Israel was that um, he wanted them to just, to just give to the poor. To just give. Not to withhold from them. And it's a fascinating thing that in the law of Moses, God said, essentially, you'll have the poor with you always. The poor will always be among you. Which sounds a lot like something that somebody else said, named Jesus. Uh, he did mention that the have the poor with us always. But it brings me back to this, this thought. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. <clears throat> Israel was forbidden from charging usury or charging interest on loans to anybody who was a Jewish person, anybody who was part of the nation of Israel. God said, I just want you to, I just want you to give. <laughs> God also warned them that if they didn't, that they'd be judged for it. But it was up to individuals within that society whether or not they would obey, whether or not they would give. And the prophets, when they talked about the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, actually mentioned very specifically that the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah was, though sometimes we think it's related to sexual morality because of the stories that we have of Lot in Sodom, <coughs> Uh, is actually related to the fact that they had an abundance of things and they neglected the poor. And so God judged them. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. This is not Jesus' instructions for how the American government should run or be run. It is him teaching us what his kingdom is like. <laughs> and it's rooted in what really what the next um, what the next chapter here says. Let's go through the next chapter or not chapter, sorry, the next paragraph here. And then we'll um, sort of summarize everything, hopefully. I, I just, I really wanted to go through these things very slowly and methodically because I, I want you to hear Jesus. I just want you to hear him. And I don't want you in your minds to immediately think of some caveat that makes you or I not responsible to obey him. Um... He says, I tell you not to resist an evil person. Verse 43 says this, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, the you shall love your neighbor part uh, was part of the law of Moses. You shall love your neighbor as yourself was established in the Torah. Uh, which your neighbor was just whoever is closest to you at any given point. It didn't have to be somebody who was a Jewish person. It didn't have to be that. It could be a stranger. It could be a foreigner. An alien is the word it was used. 
Um, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was sort of the other part of the teaching. Hate your enemy. The only thing that I can think of is, I don't know why somebody's calling me, but the only thing I can think of related to the hate your enemy thing is possibly in the imprecatory psalms, um, you find uh, David, as well as some of the other psalm writers, talking about um, God carrying out vengeance on his enemies. <laughs> They're very strong, uh, the imprecatory psalms. Um, you know, um, God bashed their teeth in, and uh, certainly I think some of us are familiar with some of those feelings at times. <laughs> um, but apparently this was something that they had been taught. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Do you see that? Love your neighbor, but it's okay to hate your enemy. That's the idea here. Uh, by the way, this is literally what... It, this is so normal, okay? Please don't think this is some weird idea. This is how the majority of the world lives. I love the people that I love that are nice to me, and I hate everybody else, right? If you disagree with me, or if you don't conform to whatever the thing is I want you to conform to, it's okay for me to hate you, right? Um, so I love the people that I love, the people that conform to my image, essentially, and then I hate the people that I hate, and it's okay to do that. That is the normal thing. Now listen to Jesus. I say to you, love your enemies. For real? <laughs> love your enemies. Mm. Bless those who curse you. What do you do to people who curse you, who swear at you, who slap you on one cheek, who sue you to take away uh, your, your, um, <clears throat> your tunic, what do you do? Typically what we do is try to think of some way to retaliate, to get revenge, vengeance, that's what we want. But I say to love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And I thought in a, in a very practical sense, I thought, you know, when somebody does something to me... <clears throat> When somebody uh, neglects uh, me or, or hurts me or does something on purpose to offend me or hurt me, how do I treat them? What do I do? When somebody, you know, is a jerk and cuts me off in traffic, <laughs> it's an easy example. It's like, you know, it's low-hanging fruit, I guess. It's an easy target. <laughs> <clears throat> What if we were people who instead of immediately figured out how to retaliate, what if we prayed for them? And not like an imprecatory psalm, God break their teeth out. (laughs) (laughs) 
What if we prayed for their families? What if we prayed for the circumstances in their lives that, that we're unaware of? Maybe they are dealing with issues in their marriage or with their kids or their families or their parents. And we don't know. Maybe they struggle through life. Many of us do. <laughs> Have. But even if they haven't, can I hear the words of Jesus and say to my king, I will not obey? Is he then my king? I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. See, because when we do that, then we're, we're like God. That's what he's saying. Then you're like me. Well, how is that like God? Well, he gives. He tells us why. For here's how that's like God. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. Isn't that amazing? God brings mornings to, <laughs> to you, <laughs> The good. We always think of ourselves as the good, don't we? We're so dumb. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and on the evil. <laughs> he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the... That's not like a good thing and a bad thing. Sending the sun and sending the rain is not like the sun's a good thing and the rain's a bad thing. In agrarian culture... Sun and rain is good for everybody. Okay, that's, that's how that's how crops are grown. That's how everybody survives. Okay. <clears throat> now, when those things don't exist, it leads to peril. It leads to problems in society. Okay. <clears throat> he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? What how, if you love the people that love you? you you're literally just like. Everybody else, right? What reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? As if Jesus couldn't think of like a worse group to talk about. He's like the IRS. Everybody hates them. <laughs> uh, there are, you know, there are a couple of, trans, uh, of um, manuscripts that, that include uh, uh, the Gentiles here instead of tax collectors, either here or in the next part here. Uh, either way, uh, think of it from a, from a first century Jewish perspective. The Jews had been overrun politically by the Roman Empire, and so they were subject to the Roman conquerors, and many of the Jews hated that kind of authority occupation. And so if you were a tax collector collecting moolah for the Roman oppressors to the Jewish people, you were a traitor. That's how they viewed many of them. Interestingly, of course, Jesus called one of them, Matthew, uh, Levi, who, who would be called Matthew, uh, who wrote the book that we're reading. Isn't that cool? Uh, he, he was a tax collector. <laughs> he worked for the IRS. Poor guy. <laughs> for the Roman IRS. Um, <clears throat> tax collectors were infamous for uh, cheating people because uh, everything wasn't written on paper. 
if you've traveled, and, and I've heard this from from my friend Isaac in uh, in uh, Uganda, when he travels, particularly from country to country, sometimes when they cross borders into other countries, they have to go through the uh, local immigration or customs, and um, government ain't ain't real good. <laughs> it can be real shady uh, at many places. Okay, and so like they'll be like, oh look, there's this giant you know white dude, Mzungu. Here, uh, he probably has a lot of money, <laughs> so they'll charge him a lot more. And like, if you want to come into our country, you got to pay more money, you know. And he he's good. He's been there like 15 years now, 16 years, so he's good at uh, talking to them at this point. But uh, um, <clears throat> I remember one situation. He said somebody like ran into him or something with a with a motorcycle or a car accident of some kind ran into him, and the guy got the local police, and the police like charged Isaac with it, even though the guy he was like stopped or something, and the guy ran into him. And uh, and Isaac was like, "What are you doing? Are you going to help me with this?" And the guys, the officer was like, "Well, if you pay me, <laughs> you know, like it's just just how it works, <laughs> you know." <clears throat> so, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> uh, if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? That's real hard for me to hear personally because i'm an introvert and i like to stay in my little bubble of people i know <laughs> so like he's like if you just greet the people you know it's just like everybody does that are you hospitable do do you and i entertain strangers right hospitality the greek the word used in the new testament for hospitality literally means to love strangers to be hospitable it's one of the reasons why we want to have uh, well, why I think it's helpful for us to have like a public meeting place so that we can love strangers. You know, certainly we can meet in homes all that we want to, but it's beneficial for us. It's helpful for us in our society as a, a place to meet um, that's a, sort of a neutral type place where we can love strangers. It's good. And then it begs the question are we doing that? <laughs> How can we do that? How can we do that well? If you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? He's like, listen, the lowest people in your society do that, bro. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. What does that mean? Is Jesus saying that a Christian never fails? Not what he's saying. He is saying that the way of his kingdom is different than the rest of the world, though. The way of Jesus, the way of the kingdom of the heavens, is different than all of the kingdoms of the world. And one of the ways it exists is like the examples that he lays out before us. Loving our enemies. Doing good to those who hurt us. Instead of seeking to retaliate when we're offended and our pride is wounded because somebody slapped us on the cheek or sued us to take our tunic, we, we give them more than even what they've asked for. We go the extra mile. But all of that is rooted in this idea of loving your neighbor. All of it, the whole thing is rooted in that. It's rooted in that very simple thing of loving your neighbor. And he's going to get to the place later when he says... Um, Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, right? The golden rule, right? 
whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Now, there have been several other religions that have tried to copy that, except they make it a negative thing. Don't do to people the things you don't want done to you. Jesus makes it proactive. Not, not, not just a response, but something that we, are, we actively are choosing to do. Do to others what you want them to do to you. <clears throat> Do I want people to help me when I'm down? Yeah. Then that's what I should be doing. Do I want people to forgive me when I sin against them? I do. Then that's what I should be doing for them when they sin against me. Let me bring all of this very, very close to home, and then we'll summarize with a, a couple of other verses here. here here's the thing. So... Um, <clears throat> <clears throat> I'm a little scared to say this. <laughs> You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. Even when they're the person living in the house with you. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. <laughs> Do good to those who hate you. Relationships can be real hard sometimes. <laughs> and what Jesus is dealing with on a on um, very directly on a bigger scale absolutely scales down. Right? And must scale down to our most intimate relationships with our spouses and our children with our family members our parents our cousins pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you If Jesus means that I'm to do that for other people in society, why would I ever think that excludes my family? When I think about it, I'm reminded again of why I need why I need a savior. It's easy for anybody to read the Bible and to say I'm pretty good and everybody else is messed up but I think if we will read with integrity I think we must come to the place of saying no I'm the sinner and Jesus must rescue me and he is in the process of doing that that's why we're hearing this because he can then take the he takes his spirit and he says I'm addressing this in your life, and I, I, I'm dealing with this in you. This thing, because it's cancerous and it's going to kill you, it'll destroy your relationships, it'll hurt the people around you that I want you to love, and I want you to be healthy. I want you to be healthy in your family. I want you to be healthy in your church. <clears throat> I want you to be healthy in society. And this is what we get to go to the world saying. We get to go to our friends and our family and others and say, listen, we're not, 
<laughs> we, we are following the way of Jesus, not because we've got it down, but because He is our Savior. He is the one who rescues us. He's kind to us. And we don't deserve His kindness. That's the thing. I mentioned to you earlier that I don't think that um, what Jesus is primarily addressing here is the idea of um, physical self-defense. And, and I'm going to root my belief in that I said it was an opinion, but um, I'm going to root my confidence in that in the um, in the Torah, uh, in saying that God had established very clear uh, boundaries uh, where uh, you were able to protect your family and to protect um, your home and those things uh, within the Torah. Um, so um, I I don't think that's uh, what is particularly being addressed here. Uh, I do think though that there are a lot of issues of pride and of uh, just being mistreated, um, that um, we can handle a lot differently. <laughs> uh, look with me at Romans 12. We'll, we'll go through a little bit of this, and then we'll finish up with this. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I want to give you a... I don't think all of your Bibles do this mine does, some of them do. Uh, when you read through them, you'll see that some words, uh, not just chunks of words, but some particular individual words are italicized in some places. And uh, if you read the beginning of your Bible, you'll see that the reason why that is, is that they were added by the people who translated it from one language to another language, just to help the language, to help the sentences make sense, right? If you've done any type of language studies, you know that a grammar in languages varies can vary drastically, and so sometimes something that makes sense, the way it's written in one language, has to be uh, sort of uh, changed around a little bit in the order of the phrase or in some other things, uh, simply because of the way that grammar changes from one language to another language. Um, I only bring that up because in verse nine of Romans twelve, uh, we see this: "Let love be without hypocrisy," uh, which is a pretty cool thing to say, um, but. It's interesting that let and be are both italicized. <laughs> so, so we might just say love without hypocrisy. Just love without hypocrisy. Love without hypocrisy. Abhor, abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. You see, the things that Paul is writing about here in Romans 12 are very much the way, the way of our King Jesus that he's describing to us in, in uh, Matthew chapter 5. They're very similar attitudes, very similar things. He's going to go very directly to it, actually, in just a second here. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. No, I prefer you, brother. You go first. No, I prefer you. <laughs> we should just make it so ridiculous. <laughs> no, before no, you go first. No, you go first. <laughs> in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in our tribulation, in troubles, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality, loving strangers, distributing to the needs of the saints. It's so weird. It's almost like God wants us to help people. Isn't that weird? 
It's almost like God wants us to use the things that he's given us to help other people. Huh. So weird. So, so weird. <laughs> Bless those who persecute you. Now that sounds familiar. Didn't we just read that somewhere else? Didn't somebody else just say that? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Only you know where you stand with that. What an instruction. Don't think of yourself as being wise. It goes back to the idea of, of giving preference to someone else. Maybe I don't know everything. Maybe I can't listen to what this person is saying. <clears throat> don't be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Somebody does something evil to you, Don't repay evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Rather, give place to wrath or make space for God's wrath is the idea. For it is written, vengeance is mine. Now he quotes uh, the writings. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And that's not like a, I will heap coals of fire on your head, you loser. Because <laughs> do you get that? If that were the case, that would still be... Um, embracing the spirit of revenge. Do you get that? And, 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 and what Paul is saying here is that you don't have to live that way. You don't have to do that. Give place to God's wrath. God knows how to deal with people. He knows how to repay. When somebody does evil to you, God can deal with it. You can forgive them. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. It's a quote from the book of Proverbs. Uh, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I really like that. It's a great um, phrase, right? Don't be overcome with evil. You know what it's like when somebody hurts you and, and anger wells up inside of you and takes control of you. Do not be overcome by evil. But instead, overcome evil good by doing good overcome the evil that somebody else is doing to you by doing good to them he deals with the um, responsibility of government and the next part there um, in chapter 13 let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there's no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God therefore whoever resists the authority resists um, the 
ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, <clears throat> hopefully, but to evil. <laughs> Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. Um, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, God's servant, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. It's an establishment, certainly a recognition of God's um, recognition of government authorities and the authority that he gives to them, to the governing authorities in the world. Okay. Does it mean that all governing authorities make the right decisions? It doesn't. It doesn't. But in an overall general sense, um, there is to be order in societies, <laughs> recognizing uh, that God establishes um, governance. So um, that's on a on a broader level as it relates to you and me. Um, <clears throat> repay no one evil for evil. <laughs> right, that's the thing. So where do we go from there? The only place that I know to go is to remembering that um, my king does not simply say, this is what I want you to do, and then leave me alone to try my best to do it. But Jesus has given us of his spirit that we might obey him. And it is Jesus who, when he was betrayed by his friend, even, even when the mob came after him and said, uh, who are you seeking? <laughs> or he said, who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And they fell over backwards. And then they stood up and <laughs> he said, so who are you looking for? <laughs> and they said, Jesus. He willingly gave himself. You don't think that the ropes they tied around him could hold him, do you? Even when Peter tried to cut off, or did cut off the ear of uh, Malchus, the high priest's servant. Jesus is like, put your sword away. Do you know that I could call legions of angels? There's one place in the Old Testament where one angel wipes out like 100,000 people. <coughs> Betrayed by his best friend, or, or one of his friends, I should say. knows what it's like to be betrayed by someone that you love. Do you not think that Jesus loved Judas? I think that he did. Even then, after he was arrested, 
this mockery of trials. Then he goes and they um, make fun of him and they tear his beard out and, and they push that crown of thorns down into his head and wrap him in a you know, purple robe and give him a reed as if it were a king's scepter and they make fun of him. Still he said not a word. He didn't defend himself. The fascinating thing is that he also didn't run away. No fight. No flight. What he did was he absorbed the hurt. He took it into himself. And he died. For my sin your sin against God he died he absorbed it and he died he gave up his life I like to say that when Jesus was suffering he neither fought back nor did he run away but he absorbed the hurt and he forgave those responsible as he cried out from the cross, Father, forgive them because they don't understand what they're doing. This is your king. This is the one whose spirit you have been given. <clears throat> and, and all I can say is, for me, Thank you for forgiving me. Because <laughs> I fail. And Lord, change me. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for your kindness to us this morning. Thank you so much for your word. I, I'm aware of the reality that what we're talking about as we go through the teaching of Jesus is radically different than the systems around us because it is it is your kingdom and I know that even as Jesus said that the way um, is narrow and there are few who find it Father, I'm, thank you for forgiving us because we have been people who repay evil for evil. We have sought vengeance on our own terms time and time and time again in petty relationships with friends or with other drivers on the road. And we have sought vengeance in intimate relationships with our children and spouses and the way that we've treated each other and our parents and others. Lord, would you heal us? Would you please heal us? Would you make us whole? Please. That we would be so settled 
in your care, that we would know that you care enough for us, that you will take care of us, God. That we don't have to defend ourselves because you are our defender. That we would be humble, Lord. Would you, would you please do that in us? Please. And that we would then humbly seek to serve each other and to serve our community, Father. Would you please do that, pray. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes away all of our sin. And we stand in that, Lord. We, we, we rest in that reality that all of our sin is forgiven. And now it's you who works in us both to will and to do of, of your good pleasure. So, Lord, would you continue to do that in us, I pray. Lord, make us people who, who follow Jesus. Please, Lord, continue to transform us by your power because we are incapable on our own. <clears throat> we are incapable, Lord. We have no power of our own to do this. So would you please continue your work in us, I pray. Do it for the sake of your kingdom. Do it for our families, Lord, for our, for our marriages, for our kids. <sighs> For your church, I pray. Uh, for your own name, Lord. Would you please do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.